Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is a joy to be here with you today. And if this is your very first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at Banta or Franklin or Garfield Park or down at Seymour, here at Greenwood, or if you're watching online or at one of our microsites across the country, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up? Big applause for our first time guest today. If you would text the word new to 65248, we'll be sure to get a gift in your hand. If you're not brand new, welcome back. We're in a series right now called You Can Always Come Back, started it last week. What we said last week, we started off by talking about how we all go through setbacks. We all face setbacks, financial setbacks, relationship setbacks, there's a breakup, someone's unfaithful, career setbacks, maybe you get overlooked for a job or the, or the company downsizes and you get let go or you make a mistake and you get fired or something like that. We all go through setbacks in life, parenting setbacks. We even go through this thing called attitude setbacks. Anybody ever have one of those? No? Nobody? Just me? I really try hard to have a good attitude. I really, really do. I work pretty good at it. And most of the time I'm successful. I'm pretty happy. I smile a lot, even when things are going poorly for me. Uh, but I had a setback uh, this week in the area of my attitude. Let me tell you about it. Uh, flew down to San Antonio on Monday after I preached to help out a church down there called, called North Rock. North Rocks Church in San Antonio, Texas, great church, did some coaching with them, woke up Tuesday morning, spent the day with them, most of the day with them, got on a flight in San Antonio at 2 o'clock to get to Baltimore at around 8.45, had about an hour layover, our flight was supposed to leave at 9.45 to get here to Indianapolis by around 11.45, so it's going to be a long day, so we get to Baltimore, hour delay, or hour, um, you know, hangover, not a hangover, A layover. Um, get on. We start the boarding process. We get on there. And the time to take off uh, is 9.45. I'm looking down. It's 9.45. Every seat is taken except for the one next to me. And there's, there's another one. There's two seats left. And so we're waiting and we're waiting. And 9.45 goes by. 9.55 goes by. Now we're 10.05. And we're just sitting there waiting. You know, it's, it's kind of cramped. Uh, but at least the seat next to me is empty because I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be great. I can put up with a little bit of a delay because I've got the empty seat. You ever, anybody ever fly Southwest? It's first come, first serve? Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking I lucked out here. You know, maybe God's favoring me. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, at about, at about, I don't know, 10, 15 or so, the worst possible thing happens. Uh, this family gets on the plane and I could tell that they were hustling from a connecting flight. So they were out of breath. <sighs> And we're like, okay, we're, this is why we're late, because we're waiting for you guys. Well, my, my, boy, my boy was an offensive lineman, okay? My boy was about 300, maybe 350 pounds. Like, he's a big old boy. And I'm like, please, dear Jesus, take the other seat. <laughs> like, just if, if, there was, if there's a God in heaven, do not sit next to me. You know what I'm saying? 
nope, nope. He's like, hey, that, that open right there? I was like, yes, it's open. <laughs> so my boy sits down. Now, he is a large man, and this man is so large, he is now encroaching. That's a penalty in the NFL. He is now, he is encroaching into my space and he's touching me and, and my boy's out of breath. So he's hot. And not only is he hot, he's sweating. Okay. And so I feel his heat coming off. And then there's this awkward moment. Like, do you sound, do you kind of nestle in and, and just be, just be okay with touching for the next hour and a half? Or do you separate? You ever been there? So I'm trying to make this decision and I call, I call, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not going to touch him because he's hot and he's wet. And my boy has his four-month-old on his chest, and she's not happy. Okay? This is the worst possible situation I could think of other than the plane crashing. <laughs> so now I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, do this number right here the whole time. Like, you know, have your, hey, you can have your space and mine. Go ahead. Come on over. Encroach on me, right? So I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm not praying. I'm not thinking about the kingdom of God, spiritual things. There's nothing good going on in my mind. And I'm still kind of upset with the pilots because they can't figure out what the heck is going on. Like, I thought we would take off right after this. they got on the plane. Oh, no. They're, they're on the phone. They're calling. Finally, one of the pilots gets on the, uh, the intercom and she says uh, to, to the player, like, we don't really know what's going on. It's like, apparently. <laughs> and, and we think that it's one of the scanners for the bags that are coming from the other, from the other planes. So I, at this point, you know, he's hot, sweaty, baby's crying. We've been there for 35 minutes over the time we were supposed to be. And so I had kind of had enough. And so I'm in the front row and, and, and I just let this, 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 this bellowing, you know, sound out of him. I said, leave the bags. <laughs> it just came out. It came from the depths, the depths. <laughs> and, and the, the, the cock, cockpit door was open and the pilot heard me say it. And so she turned around and shot me this look like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, like three or four other passengers, was anybody on this plane, by the way? It was, you felt it. All of a sudden, like they start saying, yeah, leave the bags, leave the bags. And it's almost like a chant started, you know? And I'm like, oh my Jesus, like the pastor has started a riot, you know? So she gets on another little intercom thing, talks to the whoever, and says, you know, the, the, the passengers are yelling at, at me. And so we're like, okay, we're going to calm down here. Thankfully, I was wearing a mask. Nobody knew it was Pastor Danny. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the only time I was thankful for a mask. <clears throat> so we finally get up in the air. It's, it's a really, really long flight. It seems to be. We, we land at 1230 here in Indianapolis. And, and I'm really, really super eager to get off this flight. I want to get home. It's been a long day. And there's a row on my right that's got actually the front row. I have the front row on the left. And there's a family up here, two daughters and a mom. And so I, I really want to get past them because I want to be the first one out of the plane. I was really not in a good mindset. And I was very, very impatient. So I got up, grabbed my bag off the top, and I tried to slip by this 12-year-old girl, like in a, in a, in a kind of a, a, a sly pastoral sort of way. Like, hey, I'm just going to, you know. And, and I... And all of a sudden, I hear this voice, and, and this voice comes from the mother, and she says, don't be knocking my daughter over. And I was like, whoa. I said, nobody's knocking your daughter over. I'm just trying to get out. She said, well, where are you going? I said, I'm trying to get to my car. She said, this is like that TikTok. Where are you going? I'm like, what are you talking about right now? TikToks? And she is yelling at me. So all of a sudden, she rears back, and she knocks me right in the eye. No joke. She gives me this shiner. You see that right there? She just clocks me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, that really didn't happen. That really didn't happen. That, 
<laughs> but man, that would have made the story really, really good. <laughs> no, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. I, I calmed her down. I said, I'm not pushing your daughter. I might have shoved her a little bit, but come on, come on. I'm trying to get out. Um, so the door opens up and I go to my car. I try to get to my car as fast as I can. And, and I can tell when I get to the shuttle, I parked in the economy section, the economy parking, which is a dumb thing to do, but the garage was full. And so anyway, I, you could take the shuttle or you can walk. Well, I'm looking at the shuttle, the person driving the shuttle, and it, she's just like, she just looks incompetent just to me. She's, she just, to, that's, that's the attitude. I was in that mindset. You know, I was like done with people. Ever been there? Anybody ever get done with people? So she gets off the bus to go get a snack out of the vending machine at one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, who eats snacks from vending machines at one in the morning? Apparently you do. So I decide to walk. I'm like, I've had it. So I walk the 20 minutes all the way to the economy parking section, D74, right? So I finally get there. I'm so frustrated. It's one o'clock in the morning. I start, start driving home and I'm trying to stay under the speed limit. I really, really am. I get all the way to Greenwood off 465. I'm like literally on the block that I live on. I am 30 seconds away from pulling in my driveway. Whoop, 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 whoop. I'm like, no, this is the day from hell. My driveway is right over there. So he pulls me over and he says, hey, you were going pretty fast and you look like you were drunk. I said, officer, I am not drunk. I've not had a drop of alcohol, I promise. I've just had a long flight. Big man, big sweaty man sitting next to me. Delayed flight. I should have gone slower. So he says, do you know that you were going 60 into 35? I said, whoa. On Fry Road. I said, whoa. I did not know that. I pleaded my case. I told him what had happened. And amazingly, this incredible officer showed me mercy. Did not write me a ticket. Yes. But, 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 my attitude, here's the thing. Here's why I tell you that story. Because I'm an idiot. I admit that. But I had a really, really bad setback when it came to my attitude. I was impatient. I was rude. Normally, normally I love people. I love babies. Normally, I'm like, hey, where did, tell me your story. You want to come to church on Sunday? Like, that's normally my MO, like my mode of operation. No, I wouldn't think about God, no church, nothing. Easter, didn't want, they forgot about Easter coming up. Total attitude setback. Ever been there? That happens to us. And because that happens to us, we need to get really good at mounting comebacks. My favorite comeback verse in the Bible is Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For though the righteous fall seven times. Now, it doesn't say seven because he's talking about actually seven. He's talking about like 170, okay? A lot because people fall lots of times. They have to learn to rise again. And that's what this series is all about, learning how to come back after a setback. Isn't it amazing that we just started this series, you can always come back, and the NCAA championship game happens, and it's the best, the best, largest comeback in championship history. Isn't that incredible? Kansas comes back to defeat North Carolina. I, how many of you went to bed at halftime? 15-point lead. Did anybody watch it? No? Okay. I was watching halftime, like, this game's over. Go to bed. I wake up the next morning, who won? I'm thinking, of course North Carolina won. Nope, Kansas won. Came back. You know what the coach said at halftime? Did you, did you see the press report afterwards? Uh, I think it's, it, his name is uh, Jim Self. You know what he said to his team? He said, guys, back in 2008, this is halftime, back in 2008, we were down nine points with two minutes left against Memphis. Remember that in the championship game? And we came back and won. He said, guys, would you rather be down nine points with two minutes left or down 15 points with 20 minutes left? And the whole team said, we'd rather be down 15 points with 20 minutes left. And he said, absolutely, we can do this. You know what he was doing? He was instilling what? Belief in them. 
We can do this. That was what we talked about last week. A comeback starts with believing that it's possible. If you missed that talk, please go back and watch it. Today I want to talk about what I think the second step in a comeback is. In your notes, I wrote it like this. A successful comeback requires strong reasons. Reasons. One of the greatest comeback stories in the Bible is the story of Nehemiah. Let me give you the quick, super quick version of the story. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to show the world what it looked like to be under God's favor, protection, provision, leadership. And they blew it. They blew it with idolatry. They blew it with rebellion. So God raises up the Babylonians. The Babylonians take over. They destroy the temple. They destroy Jerusalem. And Israel goes into 70 years of exile. After 70 years, God allows them to go back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is in shambles. Nehemiah finds out about this. He's crushed. He asks for permission from his boss, who happens to be the king, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and restore the dignity and honor of the city and God's name. The king says yes. He goes back. And in 52 days, you know the story, in 52 days, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They overcome all the obstacles, all the people trying to stop them, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. All these people are hating on them, threatening their life. He overcomes all the obstacles and successfully pulls off a masonry miracle. I mean, that's really what it was, an engineering miracle. In 52 days, they rebuild the wall. How did he do it? Nehemiah had reasons. He had reasons. What is a reason? A reason is the answer to the question, why? Why should I get back up? Why should I go back to Jerusalem? Why should I try again after this 75th relapse to drugs. Why should I try again after this relationship has gone south again? Why should I get back up after I've had another parenting fail? Why should I get back up and have another comeback when it comes to your attitude? You know what I did the next day on, t- on Wednesday morning uh, when, when I got home after my huge attitude setback? You know what I did? I did the same thing I do every day. I woke up, six o'clock in the morning, made a cup of coffee, went to my spot, I read my Bible, opened up my Bible, got my journal out, started reading, started praying, and I started repenting. I said, God, I'm an idiot. I wasn't spiritual. I wasn't praying for that man next to me. I wasn't kind to the pilots. I wasn't kind to that mother. I wasn't patient at all. I wasn't even praying to you. Would you please forgive me? I can't stay there. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your mercy. A couple of hours later, I was doing that. Why? Because I have reasons. I can't stay down there. I can't let that attitude permeate my life and start treating you that way and the staff that way and other people in this community that way. What would happen to our church? What would happen to my family? Right? We've got to have reasons of why we need to come back. What are reasons? Why do we need reasons? Reasons give us the motivation to get back up after you have a setback, to get back up after you have a fail. And Nehemiah had three tremendously strong reasons. I want to share them with you real quick. The first one is this. Reason number one, Nehemiah was concerned was about the safety of his people. See, without walls around the city, the city was vulnerable to attack Nehemiah cared about the safety. In Nehemiah chapter 1, watch what happens when he finds out about the condition of Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I fasted, mourned. I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. He was distraught. Why? Because without walls around the city, the city was vulnerable to attack. Bible commentator John Kitchen said this about ancient cities. 
He said, a city without strong walls around it is easy pickings for every and any foe that sets its sights upon its possessions and its people. In other words, any invading army can just march right into that city and take whatever it wants. The walls around the city were the defense of a city. Back then, they didn't have helicopters or planes that can go right over the walls, as we do today. They needed to have walls. In fact, the Bible equates self-control. One day, we're going to do a whole series on self-control. Isn't that exciting? Wouldn't you like that? Four weeks on self-control. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be powerful. It's going to change your life. The Bible equates self-control with walls around a city. Proverbs chapter 25. Watch this. A person without self-control, that can't put the Doritos down, that can't stop scrolling Facebook, that can't stop playing video games, whatever. <laughs> a person without self-control is like a person without walls, broken down walls. A city without walls is vulnerable to attack from the enemy. And so Nehemiah is brokenhearted over this. He's like, man, we've got to go rebuild these walls because our people are not safe. He had reasons. Do you have reasons? Do you have reasons to get back up after time, every, every time you have a setback? Are there people that you need to protect? Are there people that you need to make sure are safe in your life? Do you need to protect yourself? Then get back up after you have a setback. Make sense? Reasons. Reason number two. The reputation of God was being tarnished. God's reputation was at stake. In chapter 2, verse 17, we see Nehemiah gather the, the people of Israel and the elders, and he's trying to motivate them to rebuild the wall and to, and to get involved and to do, do their part. Listen to what he says. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned down. Let us, therefore, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Why? And remember, a reason is an answer to the question of why. Why should we rebuild the walls? Why should I jump in? Why should I give my time? Why should I labor? Why should I put my life at risk? So that we will no longer be a disgrace. See, the purpose of God choosing Israel was for Israel to be a light to the world, to show the world what it looks like to be under God's rule and under, under God's reign and to be provided and protected and guided. And everyone in the world was supposed to look at Jerusalem and the people of Israel and say, that's how we want to live. We want to live under God's rule. We want to live under his reign. We want to live under his protection. And they blew it. They screwed it up with their idolatry and their rebellion. And so now God raises up, the, uh, back then he raises up the Babylonians. He wipes out the city. And they're sent into exile. And there is embarrassment and there is shame and there is disgrace brought upon God's name. And Nehemiah is like, no, we got to restore this. We got to restore glory and honor to God's name and God's city and God's people. So he's motivated to go back and rebuild the walls. Do you know that that same purpose can be found in the New Testament for your life? Did you know that? Like Jesus said one time to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, right? Not fans, but followers. He said, you are the light of the world. He said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 said it like this. So whether you eat or drink or get on a plane <laughs> or whatever that you find yourself doing, whatever it is, in a meeting, you know, traveling on the road, you having you know, dinner with your family, whatever you're doing, scrolling Facebook, watching a movie, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, people are supposed to look at our lives and get a picture of what it looks like to be under Jesus' leadership. And they ought to say, man, I want some of that. Reasons. You've got to have reasons. Nehemiah had reasons, and that's why he went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Do you have reasons? 
I have reasons, and that's why I get back up after every setback that I have. The safety of his people, the glory and honor of God's name. And then look at this third one. Reason number three, their way of life was at stake. Everything that they held dear was at stake. In chapter four, Nehemiah has successfully gathered the the people of Israel to start rebuilding the wall, and they are successful. It's working. They got the wall like halfway built, and all of a sudden, the uh, Israel's enemies, Sanballat, Sanballat, Tobiah, they're coming at them. They're hurling threats. They're saying things like, hey, if you keep doing this, we're going to kill you. We're going to come in the middle of the night and destroy you. And so the people of Israel, they're tired. They're worn out. They become, they're starting to become afraid that the enemy is going to kill them. They might even lose their lives. So Nehemiah sees this situation, and so he calls a meeting because he's a leader. And he gathers everybody together, and he gives the first Braveheart speech. Anybody like the movie Braveheart? Remember when William Wallace like paints his face blue and he's like talks everything, he's on the horse. What a great speech. He gives the first original Braveheart speech. Listen to this. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and this is what I said to them. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember your God that he is great and he is glorious and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and fight for your homes. Don't you love it? Like if I was there, I'd have been like, yeah, let's paint our faces blue and you know, kill people. <laughs> what was he saying to them? What is God saying to you right now? Say, so look, if you're gonna rebuild something, Your life, if you're going to bounce back from a relapse, if you're going to finally kick the alcohol, quit the cheating, put the pornography away, whatever whatever the comeback, if you're going to rebuild and come back from this setback, financial setback, attitude setback, uh, 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 comeback, you're going to have to fight for your very way of life. Everything you hold dear, your family, your sons, your daughters, your homes. You know, right now, what's unraveling in, in, in the world is amazing. Russia thinks they're just going to come into Ukraine, and, and, and Putin just thought it was just going to be a, a, a cakewalk. A couple of bombs, some guns, some machine guns, a couple of tanks, and the Ukrainians are just going to lay down. Oh my gosh, was he wrong? Yes? Why was he wrong? Because the Ukrainians are fighting for something much different. They, they have, they have a, a, a different reason. They are fighting for their for their daughters, they're fighting for their sons, they're fighting for their wives, they're fighting for their homes, they're fighting for everything that's precious to them. What are the Russian soldiers fighting for? To conquer, to take land, is that motivating? No wonder they're putting up such an incredible fight. Those of you who read history, you know a little bit of history, I I think about this often. How in the world did George Washington's ragtag group of militia who barely had uniforms, barely had guns or even knew how to shoot a gun, how did they defeat the greatest military force in the world at that time, the British military? How did that happen? The most powerful nation in the world is invading and George Washington's army defeats them? What, were they, what was going on? They were fighting for their very lives. See, when you have a reason that strong, you are going to come back every single time. There's not going to be any filing for divorce. 
There's not gonna be any throw in the towel. There's not gonna be any thoughts of suicide. There's not gonna be any of that I give up stuff. There's not gonna be no loss of hope. It's like, no, I failed. I messed this up. I screwed up. I own it. I'm getting back up. Why? Because I have reasons. See, the reason why you struggle to come back from your setbacks is you don't have strong enough reasons. They don't go down deep into your heart like, like it did for Nehemiah where he's weeping and he's mourning. When was the last time you wept and cried out loud and fasted and denied yourself food for days? It's because you don't have strong enough reasons. So let me ask you a tough question today. What are your reasons? Do you have any? Last week I asked you what, what, what your setback was, what, what your comeback needs to be. And I hope you identified it. Man, I need a relationship comeback. I need a physical fitness comeback, whatever. I need a, you know, an attitude comeback. Now I'm asking you, what are the reasons? Why, why, do you, why, do you, why are you gonna get back up? Because if you don't have clear reasons, if you don't have a strong answer to the question of why, you are not going to come back. You're gonna stay down. What are your reasons? It's amazing, I was listening to some language on the sidelines when the Patriots were trying to come back in uh, Super Bowl 54, as I mentioned last week. And, uh, you know, they, they, they keep the microphones on so you can hear the players talking to each other. And I mentioned Julian Edelman last week. He, he, he made this incredible catch. I just want to show it to you again because it's an ama- amazing photo. <laughs> uh, you know, 25-yard pass right down the middle of the field, fourth quarter. They need this play. They need this reception in order to keep the drive going. He manages to get his fingers under the ball at the last second. It's a catch. They continue the drive. They score. It goes into overtime, and they win the game. Massive comeback, Right? You know what he said to Tom Brady on the sidelines during the comeback? Did does anybody know? He said a couple of things, but I caught one thing in particular, and I want to show it to you. He said, Tom, do it for your mother. <laughs> now, that might not tickle you, but I'm a man, and I'm, you know, middle-aged man, 44. I'm Tom Brady's age. Can you believe that? It's unbelievable. He's still played in the NFL. And Edelman says, do it for your mother. I mean, you've got to think about this. What on earth is he trying to do? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get Tom to think of any reason in the world to complete that next pass, to make that next handoff, to do the next run or whatever. Like, like people understand, like if you don't have some type of reason that's gonna motivate you to complete the next pass, to make the next step, to put the one foot in front of the other, you are toast. There will be no comeback because there's no reason to come back. Make sense? So what are your reasons? Like spend this afternoon, maybe an hour this afternoon with a pen and a paper thinking like, what's the answer to the question of why? What are my reasons? Let me share three of my reasons real quick. Average why I get back up after every setback. Number one, when I die, and I'm gonna die, everybody's gonna die, could be today. I have a ring on my finger that says memento mori. It's a Greek phrase that says you could die today. I wear that to remind myself that today could be my last day on earth. Could have a brain aneurysm, a car accident. I could just die, you could die today. I don't have a death wish, I don't wanna die, but it could happen today. If it happens today and I stand before Jesus and the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment, Hebrews chapter nine says that. So we die and then we face God. And, and I know that's gonna happen for me, maybe today, maybe 10 years from now, I'm not sure. But here's what motivates me. 
I want to hear Jesus say, when I die, you banged some things up down there, but you did a pretty decent job. And if he can say that, I don't need him to say much more than that. I'll be like, oh, yes. Now the Bible word for that, the Bible phrase for that is, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did a decent job. I just, I just, that motivates me. And if I'm going to hear him say that one day, I, I can't stay down after an attitude setback or a moral setback or whatever kind of setback. I, I got to get back up. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. That's my first motivation. My second motivation is that I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with reaching my potential. If my potential is here, I don't want to go here. As a husband, if it's here, I don't want to go here. As a father, if it's here, but I don't, you know, as a pastor, as a person, as a, as an individual, I don't want to, if my potential is here, I want to reach that. So that motivates me. I can't stay down if, if I'm going to reach my potential. That gets me going. That's my reason. And then my third is kind of a little bit personal. And I have this vision in my mind of, of you know, maybe I'm like 75 years old and, and Jackie's 74. She's a year younger than me. And it's just way out in the future. And, and I can almost see it. There's a house somewhere that we have and it's, it's, it's large enough for our whole family. And I'm not just talking about my three kids, but their wives and their and the grandkids and everybody can stay and, and it's warm. So it's not in Indiana. <laughs> and we're there and, and there's probably a beach close by somewhere and everyone wants to come. And it's the highlight, the grandkids, the highlight of their year. I want to go to grandpa and grandma's for the week, you know, blah, blah. The kids are coming and all expenses are paid and everyone loves to hang around grandpa because grandpa's pockets are really, really thick with cash. You know what I'm talking about? There's just lots, like right now, there's not much in there, but, but one day, well, yeah, this is my vitamin. I picked that up. But one day there's going to be like stacks of cash in there. It's like grandkids, like grandpa, can I have like 20? Here's a hundred. You know what I'm saying? It's, Everybody wants to be around grandpa. I had that vision. Everybody's healthy. It's not perfect because no, <laughs> there's dysfunction in all the families, right? But everybody loves each other and they're committed to work stuff out. Everybody loves to come. And, and I just love the goodness there. And Christ is at the center of it all. And if that's gonna happen, if that vision is gonna take place, I can't stay down today. You understand? You see the power of reasons? The reasons get you up and moving to continue to fight and to mount your comeback. Yes or no? This could change your life. Take some time this afternoon and write your reasons down. What are your reasons? Now, it's communion weekend. We celebrate this. You heard your campus pastor talk about it a few moments ago. We eat a little bread and we drink a little juice, right? To, to remember Christ. You know what's interesting about Jesus's death and resurrection? What's interesting about his broken body? and his spilled blood, he had a reason and it drove him. You know what the Bible says the reason is? Watch this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. For the joy set before him, he endured crucifixion. He endured nails going through his hands and through his feet. He endured a sword going through his side, the crown of thorns on his head. He endured the suffocation. Did you know that when someone dies from crucifixion, they don't die from the nails they die from suffocating to death. That's how Jesus died. Why did he endure that? Why did he go through that? The Bible says for the joy set before him. What was that joy? That was you. Jesus endured the cross so he could be in relationship with you. It brings him joy. That's why he went through it all. That's why he kept going. He had his reasons. 
We celebrate that today by eating a little bread and drinking a little juice. The bread, if you're a believer today, I wanna invite you into this moment. If you're not a believer today, I would ask you to sit this part out. This is a ritual for those of us who call ourselves children of God. The Apostle Paul gave us some incredible verses that, that we can use to kind of guide us through this ritual as we remember the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. If you'd grab your cup right now and, 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 and get a hold of the little wafer in there, the little piece of bread. I want to read you these words. And, and as I read these words, I want you to receive the bread and remember Christ's broken body as we do it. Paul said this, For I pass unto you what I have received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and this is what he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The next verse says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. And this is what he said. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. That he, he endured the cross because of the joy of knowing us as his children, as your children. God, we remember you today. Jesus, we remember the wonderful sacrifice. You laid your life down for us that we might be forgiven reconciled, that we might receive grace and mercy. Father, as we, as we sing in these next few moments about your goodness, God, may, may it bring joy to your heart as you see your children celebrate and bask in your love and your grace and sing about your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ laid his life down for us. Today we remembered that we celebrated that he was crucified in a few days we're going to celebrate his resurrection on easter he had a reason a purpose that drove him and it was the joy of knowing you if i could jump into you some of you are listening today and and, and, and make a decision for you to, to respond to that love, to respond to that grace, I would. I would, I would jump inside your body and, and, and choose, choose to respond to God's love by, with faith. But I can't do that. I can only ask you to respond. God can only ask you to respond. And God's asking you today, what, what will you do with this gift? Like my, my son has died in your place. And I brought him back to life to wipe away the penalty of sin and shame and to, to reconnect you to me and reconcile you and give you grace and mercy. Will you receive that? That choice is yours. Neither I nor God nor anyone else could make that choice for you. You must respond. And so how do I respond? You respond with faith. 
Say, God, I, I believe you sent Jesus to die to this earth. I, I, I believe he died for me personally, for my sin personally, and I trust him today. Would you forgive my sin and make me your child? And that's what you, that's what you do. You respond with faith. That's not joining a religion. That's not joining a church. That's, that's stepping into a relationship with the living God, stepping into life in the kingdom. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer that a child can pray. It doesn't take a lot of faith. In fact, Jesus said one time, it takes the faith as small as a mustard seed. Not much, just a little bit. You respond with that faith and trust in Christ today and become his son, become his daughter. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say this to him, dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin to cancel the debt held against me. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me your child today. I place my confidence, my faith, my hope in you as my Savior. And from this day forward, Teach me to follow you, to love you, to seek to honor you, to live in your presence, to obey you, and to bring a smile to your face with the way I live. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? If you just prayed that prayer, our church has prepared a little starter kit for you. We call it our save box. If you would text the word save to 65248, we'll get one of these to you at the information desk at your campus. Or if you're watching online, you can just give us a little bit more information. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. Inside this box, there is a Bible with a reading plan, some information about how to get connected to the church, small groups, and also a coffee bug to say congratulations. Can we give the Lord a hand one more time, amen? Hey, before you guys get out of here, before you guys get out of here, super quick, um, I just want to pray and then um, uh, just remind you really super quick, uh, Easter's coming. If people are ever going to come to church, okay, Easter's the time. So make those invitations, be inviting people. Even if you're on an airplane, try not to make the same mistake that I made. Invite those folks to Easter. Let me pray and we'll hand things off to the local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his gift of eternal life, having him sacrifice his life in our place. God, help us to get back up every single time we have a setback. Help us to identify those reasons so that we can come back, so that we can live the life that you have planned for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.